Welcome to Coach Hub's Spark Leadership Podcast, a platform devoted to exploring the future of work through coaching and behavioral change. This season, we'll be sharing in-depth conversations with some of the world's brightest psychologists, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and thought leaders. We'll cover hot business topics such as organizational transformation, women in leadership, executive coaching, and navigating work in today's market. I'm your host, Lisa Tomlin, Senior Behavioral Scientist and Client Partner at Coach Hub. Today, I will be speaking with Liz Weissman, CEO of the Weissman Group, a talent development and research organization based in Silicon Valley, California. Liz is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She's also an executive advisor focused on helping leaders transform their organizations by maximizing impact and multiplying intelligence. Liz, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here, Lisa. Thank you for having me. You are most welcome. What I found fascinating about your work is the concept of accidental diminishers. Can you talk more about what it means for leaders and what impact accidental diminishers have on our teams? Mm. Well, I began by noticing that there was a lot of underutilized intelligence inside of our organization. And I, I noticed that the way that the leader uses his or her own intelligence can either have this diminishing or multiplying effect. And I think we've all experienced a diminishing leader, someone who's so smart and capable and talented that no one else around them gets to be smart, capable, and talented, that, you know, people sort of cower around these leaders. They shut down. They hold back. And, you know, I studied the difference of these diminishing versus multiplying leaders. And by multipliers, I mean leaders who use their own intelligence in a way that brings out the best thinking, the best ideas, full capability, full contribution from people around them. And and that was pretty straightforward. But what I began to see is that most of the diminishing that was happening was not coming from the tyrannical, narcissistic, know-it-all, bully, bossy, you know, me, monster, you know, kind of leader. Like, we've all experienced that, but most of the diminishing in our workplace is coming from really well-intended people, you know, good people who want to be good managers, you know, people who sign up early for leadership training and people who write leadership books like me, you know, people who want to be good leaders but are having a diminishing effect often by being um, too supportive, too helpful, too energetic, too optimistic, um, you know, quick to step in and fix, quick to respond. And so that's what I really began trying to understand is the way that we end up accidentally diminishing others because its, it's effect is as diminishing but it's it's hard to see because leaders tend to see their best intent while others experience their impact. What's one key way managers and executives can identify if they are accidentally diminishing versus purposefully uplifting their teams? I think the first is recognizing how your positive intentions can be misconstrued and have a negative impact despite good intentions. You know, it's understanding 
in what way you're accidentally diminishing, what tends to prompt that, like what's happening in the room when you tend to do it. I'll give you the list of nine really common accidental diminishing tendencies. And often just the names of these people go, oh, I do that. Um, and, And maybe I'll start with the one that I do. So one of them is the idea fountain. So people who are, you know, popping off ideas, hoping they're going to spark ideas in others. So the idea fountain, the rescuer, the rapid responder, the pace setter, the visionary, the perfectionist, the protector, and, oh, I don't know if I hit all nine there, but these are some of the things that we do with the best of intent. And, you know, I found that there's, in some ways, two ways to address this inside of organizations. One is for leaders to be really mindful of when they tend to do these things, what triggers it, to see it, to stop it, to replace it with something that is, in my vernacular, like more multiplying. You know, instead of offer your ideas, ask good questions. You know, instead of uh, protecting someone from difficult situations, give them 51% of the vote. And there's, you know, a dozen of these things that we can do. But what I found really changes the culture of organizations and teams is when managers talk, actually when everyone talks so openly about their accidental diminishing tendencies, is that instead of one manager being mindful, you've got 10 people on her staff who know she's a bit of a rescuer. And so when the manager like extends his hand of help, the people on our team can say, you know what, I've got this. You know, I've got it. Like, you know what, I appreciate the offer, but I will get this done. And you get this like 10X factor abating accidental diminishing. I'd love to shift the conversation to your book, Multipliers. In that book, you discuss how leaders can multiply their impact So what is your advice for leaders who find it challenging to get the best from their teams? I think what the best leaders do is they create the coexistence of two conditions. One is safety. The other is stretch. So they do a number of things that are supportive. They make it safe for people to take risks, to speak up. They understand the unique genius that people bring. They invite good thinking with good questions. They give people ownership. They establish trust, like all of those kinds of things that create a great place to work. But the best leaders don't leave it at that. They also create equal measures of stretch. They have high expectations. They hold people accountable. They, you know, demand people's best thinking. And think about what it's like when we have one of those conditions, but not the other. Like, what's it like to work for a leader who's all stretch, but no safety? You know, it's stressful. It's horrifying. It's, you know, it's diminishing. And then, you know, you think about what it's like to work for someone who's all safety, you know, who kind of loves you up. And makes you feel good about the work and creates this great work environment, but never asks you to do anything that's hard. You know, we tend to be underutilized around those leaders. So when leaders can bring those conditions together, people tend to do their best thinking. They do their best work. They have their greatest impact when those conditions are co-present. Thank you. This concept of coexistence where safety and stretch exist really has my mind ticking. And I want to follow up with a question. 
How can coaching help individuals ask themselves the right questions to develop these types of skills or awareness? You know, if we're thinking about the role that a coach can play in helping a manager, I think the primary value of coaching is helping someone get out of their own head. You know, it's it's lonely in senior leadership roles. It's lonely in almost any leadership roles because the people close to you are, are often the people that you can't talk through the challenges that you're facing with your team. And so it's helping a manager get out of their own head because when we are stuck in our head, we tend to have a diminishing effect on others. We're thinking about our contribution, our ideas, our problem, what we want to do, what we need to do, what we need from others. And, you know, and the best managers keep their focus on their team. You know, what do people need from me for them to do their work? And I mean, Lisa, I remember the day, the very day, like in my first management job where I realized, oh, it's not really about you. It's not about your to-do list, your workload, what's expected of you, you know, because I had it focused on me with my team being an extension of me. And I realized like, wow, my job is to, to enable the people around me to do their jobs, not to have them help me do my job. And, and this was that moment where I was like able to get out of my own head. And I think that's what a great coach does is help people see like what exists in their shadow, like what's happening around them. How do you think that person might perceive that? What do they need from you? And and to ask them the kind of questions that get them thinking not about their intentions, but about the impact that they have on others. And I think good coaches pull us into this mode. Liz, you are clearly passionate about your work and I truly appreciate how you described what diminishing behaviors look like and what multiplying behaviors look like. Let's continue to speak about the manager. In our coaching world, we talk about the concept of leader as coach, meaning that managers or executives learn to guide their teams through coaching techniques. How can leaders use coaching techniques to help their people become impact players? Well, I think the most powerful shift a leader can make is shifting out of the mode of telling and operating in the mode of asking. And this is what good coaches do. They ask the questions that get people thinking. They ask the questions that get people out of their head. They ask the questions that don't give people answers. They lead people to finding answers. And good managers do this with their team. And they ask questions that are just open enough that people have to figure things out, but are just sharp enough and pointed enough that kind of guide people to what they need to be thinking about. Um, I think there's somewhere in the book, Multipliers, it says like, you know, good leaders don't tell people what to think. They tell people what to think about. You know, one of the exercises I really encourage managers to take is to take the extreme question challenge. And that is to go into a leadership moment, a a conversation, a meeting, a staff meeting, a business review, you know, what have you, and see if you can lead that only by asking questions. And it's hard, 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 hard to do. I've taken this challenge and it's hard. But when you do this, when you force yourself to add value and coach through just asking questions, you realize how much 
thinking can accomplish by asking rather than telling. So just develop the art of leading through inquiry. Ask more questions. Ask better questions. Um, And I encourage managers to have kind of a set of back pocket questions. If you ask any good coach, they probably have their favorite questions that they ask that really open up thinking, change conversations. A couple of my favorites are just like, what's a win for you? And what's a win for this stakeholder? Like, can we create sort of like a Venn diagram to figure out like, what's a win for everyone? And like, that's the hot spot where we need to work. And of course, in my dream world, managers take, oh, I don't know, five or 10 minutes before they go into a meeting and they they write down, here are the questions that I need to ask to get people thinking and to be a good coach in this moment and to be a good challenger in this moment. But I realize, you know, a lot of times managers are running from meeting to meeting and they don't have that time to prepare. But if you develop a set of back pocket questions, oh, I don't know, four, five, six go-to questions that you can kind of just pull out of your back pocket or just they're top of mind for you. Um, Like one of my favorite questions is so simple, which is just, well, what do you think? And it's just so ready that when I get into a situation and I'm about to like, oh, here's what I think. I'm like, you know what? What do you think we should do? What do you see as the problem here? How do you think we can solve this? Um, That I think helps manager move quickly into coaching mode. You know, I think another thing that managers can do to be good coaches to help people increase their impact is to know when to be big and know when to be small. I think the best coaches... They know when to come in and play really big in a situation, in a conversation, in a relationship, and maybe kind of come in, come in hot, come in hard, you know, like, hey, you know, what about this? Or, you know, and to kind of push people. But they also know when to kind of hold back and play small and let somebody else figure it out, talk it out. And it's not necessarily this even consistent presence. It's like going in and out at the right moments. I think the best managers do the same thing. They they play big when they need to come in with a challenging question, with um, maybe a big vision, a big statement, defining a problem, but then they need to recede a little bit, hold back. In some ways, I want to give managers permission to not be big, to not feel like you have to always be on. Like It's actually exhausting. It's one of the ways that we accidentally diminishes when we're bringing so much presence and energy. You know, the best work tends to be done more through a potluck where everyone has to bring something into the conversation. And maybe as a leader, you want to, I'm going to try to take this analogy maybe a little bit too far. You want to bring the main dish, you know, and set the table, but then like let everyone contribute something to the party. Great analogy. So we've been talking about leaders and managers and how they can make positive impacts. I know we have people at all levels listening to this podcast. So how can individuals at other levels of the organization contribute their values and ideas as well? Mm. Well, you know, after spending a more than a decade studying what leaders do to get people's full capability and impact, I started looking at what do contributors do that allows them to show up big? And why is it that some people get 
stuck going through the motions of a job and have minimal impact, like they're working hard, but they have minimal impact. Whereas other people who are no smarter, no more capable, not harder working, but yet they're having this outsized impact. So I was, you know, I've spent the last, oh, about four or five years studying what can we do to increase our own impact. And let me try to sum up what I found in that research. What I found is that the impact players of the workplace, they don't just do their job. They do the job that's needed, meaning they're paying attention to what's happening around them. They're mindful of the environment and they're rangy. What that means is they're willing to step outside of the bounds of their job and do what needs to be done. That's that's not like I need to go above and beyond my job. It's not like, oh, I have to do everyone else's job. It's being willing to treat your job. I like to think of it as a base camp on a mountain where like, that's kind of what I do. That's the position I hold, but that just puts me in the right position for when there's some emergent thing happening. Like I'm in position to go up mountain, down mountain for the rescue. And You know, managers love this kind of mindset on their team. It's the people who are willing to step in and say, okay, this is not their job, not my job, but it's something important that needs to be done. And so I'm going to step to the side of my role and pick this up and get it done. So that's one thing. Um, The second thing that we we find the impact players do differently is, is how they respond to unclear roles and leadership vacuums where you know, people are clearly collaborating, but it's not entirely clear who's in charge. While other people wait for direction, they wait for role clarification, they wait to be asked to lead, you know, the impact players are just stepping up and leading. They take the lead easily, but they also step out of leadership roles easily. There are people who can follow others as willing as they are to lead others. And then the last two things we found is that when the environment is fraught with change and targets are moving, the impact players are constantly adapting, adjusting, changing. They're they're not just taking feedback, they're constantly seeking feedback. You know, is this right? What can I do differently? They're more like a chameleon. And then lastly, they just make work light. When work is heavy, instead of adding to that burden, They just make work light for everyone around them. And it's not that they do other people's work. They just are easy to work with. They're low maintenance and they bring a sense of joy. And we find when people do like any three out of these five things, it in some ways it gives them this reputation of just the kind of person you hand the ball to when you're in a high stakes moment. And they're the kind of people who can be entrusted with impactful situations, and they're people who build outsized influence inside organizations. As we come to the end of our episode, we like to ask all our guests to share the most impactful takeaways you've discovered from talking to your own coach. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you a coaching moment that really changed me, and it was when I was working at Oracle, and I had a big job there. And I wanted to go out on my own and start doing executive coaching, start doing management and leadership development. But I knew if I went to go do that, 
it would be like following my passion, which would be consuming, which would be energy consuming and time consuming. And I was really concerned about that because I had four children and somehow my corporate job, even an executive role in a big corporation like Oracle, it was easy. It was containable. And so I was reluctant to go out and do this. And I was talking to a friend of mine that I met through a coaching program that we both did at Wharton. And he was my coaching partner there. And I was telling him like, oh, I was really reluctant to go in and, and do that because I didn't want to like leave my kids. Like, I'm like, oh man, that's going to be consuming. And I think it's going to take my energy away from my family. And he said, don't you think your kids would benefit from having a mom who was really passionate about her work. In some ways, wouldn't that be of greater benefit to your family? And it just totally reframed the situation. This thing that I thought was this liability and a problem was actually this incredible asset and this incredible opportunity for my family. And it's what gave me the courage to to go do something that I thought would be consuming. And it was, but it actually brought me greater energy. And, and it's, you know, it's something that I think led me to this observation that, you know, we often think people burn out because they have too much work. I find that people tend to burn out because they have too little impact. But when we have influence and impact, and maybe I'll even toss in the word power in our work, it doesn't tend to deplete us. It tends to give us energy. And I brought all of this energy into my, my home and my relationships. And I think my kids saw me doing work that had influence and impact. And I think, I think it was of incredible benefit to my family. So this was a coaching moment that changed my life and one that I'm really grateful for. Liz, thank you for sharing your story. And I'd like to thank you for being our guest today. Oh, well, Lisa, thank you. And thanks to the team at Coach Hub. Um, keep sparking good leadership in people. You can find Liz's books, including Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter on Amazon. And thank you for listening to Spark Leadership. Please join us in two weeks for the next episode. You can subscribe to Spark Leadership on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want more information about Coach Hub programs for your organization, please connect with us at coachhub.com.